Figure facts for life. We just want you to be healthy. Health and happiness. If you pay attention to what goes in your body, you'll be amazed at the results. Fuel, nourish, and heal your body. Eating healthy. Well, well that's everything. Put the right fuel in. Take care of your engine. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Roberta Janeiro. Welcome to Figure Facts for Life podcast. I'm your host, Roberta Janeiro. I'm a registered dietitian with over 30 years clinical nutrition experience. I am committed to share my expertise and the expertise of my colleagues so that you better understand how to use food to fuel, nourish, and heal your body. We have a great guest today. She's a colleague of mine from years back, Dr. <laughs> Christy Tangney or Professor Tangney. She is working at Rush University Medical Center. She works in the Department of Clinical Nutrition. Do you want to share what you're doing in that department? Um, Well, yes, I actually do a lot of research. I do teaching. I teach individual classes where we're educating future dietitians. Right. Uh, We also educate additional health professionals who may be interested in learning more about nutrition. I also have a secondary role, well, I shouldn't say actually secondary role, companion role as the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Health Sciences. Fabulous. Yes. Well, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Happy to be here. So we're just sharing, Christy. We're sharing information. This month in April, it is Parkinson's Disease Awareness Month. And I wanted to make sure that our listeners know that this is a condition that can be very debilitating. Um, My grandmother actually had it. And I watched, you know, how she suffered with uh, the tremoring Mm -hmm. of that condition. She also struggled with her gait and freezing. She also struggled with hallucinations from the medication she was on. And, you know, just a sweet lady. And we got her to stay with us once the condition was diagnosed. So we were able to make sure that she was eating better. And that seemed to help some of the symptomology. But can you explain to our listeners, for those that don't really know what Parkinson's is all about, I know Michael J. Fox has kind of got it out and the awareness out there for, uh, for people. But do we really understand what it's about? What is yeah, I'm Parkinson's very fortunate. And I've been very, um, I've been working with a lot of neurologists who are part of the movement disorder clinics at Rush University Medical Center. Okay. And actually, one of the the former chair um, actually developed some of the uh, major tools by which we diagnose Parkinson disease. It's yes. called the United Parkinson Disease Rating Scale, and it's a way that we can evaluate how patients progress. Because I think what you mentioned before. Roberta is this is basically a chronic disease. Yes. It it occurs it can occur as early as 40 years of age. Okay. And it is a central nervous um, disorder where there's actually a loss of certain neurons in the brain, usually in the midbrain that produce dopamine. And dopamine is very much involved with um, movement, okay. but there are a lot of non-movement uh, symptomology that occurs as well. Okay. And so one of the big things that is so critical is the nutritional health of uh, Parkinson's disease patients because they're so prone to having um, problems because of the um, neuron effects. Right. They can't possibly, they have trouble moving so they can't prepare food for themselves. They have trouble in uh, salivation. They have trouble in their gut as far as mobility of their um, gut so that when they actually consume foods, it's difficult to move that adequately and so foods can be well absorbed. Wow. Um, the One of the cardinal signs, early, early signs is constipation. 
And that's one of the first early signs that we think. Also hearing loss. Okay. Um, but the probably the more classic signs are exactly what you talked about. That tremor. Tremor upon rest. Right. Um, the rigidity in movement mm-hmm. and gait problems. Right. When you see um, folks, another, oh, another very interesting thing that's also related to motor is um, the small handwriting. So a person's handwriting will get actually very small and cramped. Okay. Um, and so those. Just because the, they don't have the freedom to move. Exactly. The pen, like they exactly. Used to. The rigidity of right. the, uh, all those motions are compromised. And so it becomes such a critical issue for them. And I think what's very important is that movement disorder clinics embrace um, the other health professionals. Many of them are very aware of that. They bring in occupational therapists. They bring in nutritionists, dietitians, because they recognize that they can't treat all of those problems. Right. And some of those problems also are, uh, as you said, an end result of some of the medications they're on. Absolutely. And I guess one of the things that's striking to me is as many different kinds of drugs that are out there, still the primary uh, treatment is the replacement of dopamine, right? which is L-DOPA. Right. So we, we can convert it in our body, but getting L-DOPA in is critical. But if you're on it too long, you start developing uh, some problems in our ability to actually um, respond to that drug. Mm-hmm. So most movement disorder neurologist will take a long time before they actually prescribe L-DOPA for individuals. They'll put them on other um, medications that enhance the remaining neurons that still can produce dopamine okay. to secrete that. Right. So they try to keep them for as long as possible so that they have the longest efficient period of L-DOPA use. Okay. Yeah. So they're still working on refining even the medical, uh, the medicine used to manage Parkinson's disease. So let's look at, you know, I want to just bring it back to my grandmother and that experience. But, you know, when I looked at her diet, I was in grad school when she first got diagnosed and she had lost all her hair. She was wearing a wig and she was always taking a laxative because she was having the issue with constipation. But she also had a teetotaler type of diet. She wasn't big on fruits and vegetables. And if she did eat them, they were canned. And, Mm -hmm. you know, cooked. But she just wasn't big on that. So I remember, this is kind of funny, my Italian grandmother was Hmm. selling a organic vitamin supplement. And she had digestive enzymes. And she had a fiber supplement and a multivitamin. And I told my dad get her off that laxative, get her on a fiber supplement. Absolutely. And then she was eating better because she was living with my parents. And no joke, within six months, she grew a full head of hair. So that shows you how important diet can be when it comes to growing hair. Because hair, you don't need it, right? Exactly. <laughs> if your body's deficient in a nutrient or vitamins and minerals, the hair is probably the first thing that'll go, right? Absolutely. And it's turnover. You know, hair yes. follicles can turn over rapidly, as we know. So it's one of the things. The other thing that often is uh, impacted is skin. Yes. You know, because skin turns over so rapidly. Right. But you're absolutely right. I think... The appreciation for diet has grown over the years, and I have been very fortunate to work with a lot of great colleagues. So some of the the science around diet needs also needs to grow, um, and also to appreciate the fact that when we talk about 
probably the key issue that we're going to talk about today, yes. and that is the Mediterranean diet. Absolutely. Is the idea that it's not just the diet. It's it's an attitude. It's how food is prepared. Yes. It's not just what is being prepared. It's also, if you look at the classic old um, old ways um diet pyramids, the bottom of the pyramid is physical activity. Right. Now, here, here is a group of individuals who potentially have trouble with movement. But if we, in a preventative strat- strategy, can adopt a uh, strategy that involves much more fruits and vegetables, much more unprocessed uh, grains, and move more, we are very fortunate we may actually prolong or delay the development of Parkinson's disease. And there's actually been several studies to suggest that. But again, these are observational studies where they are simply looking at an association. And part of the problem then is we're relying on self-report instruments of how people eat Mm -hmm. and how people move. Yes. And And to look at these kinds of things, we have to look at tremendous number of individuals. And so uh, the world of uh, nutrition epidemiology has opened up, and we've learned a lot. But of course, that still is only associations. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important, you know, as a dietitian, and you know, I used to run the outpatient nutrition clinic at Rush right. Medical Center, having people bring in their food records to the dietitian absolutely. so she can look at what they're doing. But as of late, which I am finding very effective because with these great smartphones that we have, I have my clients taking pictures of what they're eating because that way it shows me what they're doing. Because sometimes even when they write it down, it may not describe fully oh, to absolutely. me what they're doing. Absolutely. But when you do research on diet, like the Mediterranean diet and Parkinson's disease, What does that diet look like? Okay. So I think when we think about the Mediterranean diet, the classic thing is the use of olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. So what we're doing is trying to replace some of the the um, butter and the margarines that we saturated fats and fats, hydrogenated oils, a lot of processing. So we're looking at if you if you had the fortune to go anywhere in the Mediterranean and you look at many of the homes outside their homes are live olive trees and they're being processed very simply and with that simple processing that most of the polyphenols and the rich nutrients that are present there have some tremendous impacts and i i think um, what we get in the states there's been a lot of concern about that because some of the processing of even extra virgin olive oil may not be truly extra virgin when we say extra virgin we mean that it's very rich in polyphenols so there's been some effort to um, evaluate the quality of these um, oils. So that's one very critical part. The other thing is, of course, lots of fruits and vegetables. The other thing that is, um, and that that is a classic healthy pattern, whether we talk about a DASH pattern, whether we talk a Mediterranean pattern, whether we talk about the MIND diet. There's so many different diets out there, but that is a classic part. The other thing is the unprocessed cereals. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's really big is the use of legumes as a staple, as a source of not only uh, fiber, but as protein. Right. And that we, and we add a lot of fish. 
as much as fish as we can, and that we minimize the amount of meat and poultry. Not to ex- total exclusion, but that is actually the luxurious, the special food. You right. Know? And when you think about the Greeks and their, many years ago, it was only at times of feasting where, where meats actually emphasized it all. It was always fish, nuts and legumes, and, and fruits and vegetables. Okay. So... Y- you, um, when we were talking prior to the to the podcast, you said it's important to distinguish between the role of the Mediterranean diet and risk of Parkinson's disease. Right. Um, the point is that most of our nutrition epidemiology has pointed to the role of a Mediterranean type diet being um, important for delaying the development of Parkinson's disease. Now, that's based largely on two or three big studies. Okay. Um, the first and foremost was a case-controlled study w- that occurred in New York. Now, would you say, how Mediterranean is a group of New Yorkers, <laughs> right. really? But when they looked at it relative to the other individuals who did not develop Parkinson's disease and asked them historically what they consumed. They demonstrated a difference. Of course, there's so many problems with a study like that. Right. So then there has been efforts in um, Greece, actually, looking at the role of the Mediterranean diet um, in developing the early signs of Parkinsonianism. And that's been done both by colleagues at Rush um, as um, at Rush looking at um, the early signs in relationship to a Mediterranean or a mind-type diet, which are very similar, and then also by our colleagues in Greece and um, have looked at that. Then there have been other individuals that have actually looked at lifestyle uh, factors like drinking coffee, smoking, physical activity, and alcohol. Okay. So the one thing that I didn't mention about the Mediterranean diet is when we eat, we can enjoy wine with meals, not outside um, of a, a, a drinking moment, but to enjoy wine with our meals right. in a very social context. So I think that's a very classic Mediterranean approach. And a glass of wine. A glass of wine. Not a bottle. No, definitely <laughs> not. A glass of wine for women, maybe two glasses for men at most. Right, right. So, but but in, a, in a social environment where it's enjoying, once again, wine has a lot of wonderful um, polyphenols right. um, that also can be appreciated. So the problem with a diet is that there's so many components. It's hard to isolate one component. One component. And I think what we're trying to say is the whole is bigger than its parts. Okay. You know? And when you look at just overall brain health, that if you start eating this way when you're in your 20s, you you know, you're young, just out the gate, you're eating your fruits and vegetables, you're drinking plenty of water, you know, you're moderate with drinking if you're going to drink, because you can get polyphenols, correct other me ways. if I'm wrong, from other fruits and vegetables, right? Absolutely. Eat the dark purple. As well as your you know, oils. Your berries oils. And, and grapes and that kind of, right? Absolutely. And then, and then be moderate with fat, because, you know, when you talk about olive oil and like, hey, eat olive oil, then you see people pouring like plates of olive oil at a restaurant and before you've even started your meal you've had 80 grams of fat absolutely that's where people have to really understand where to draw the line when it comes to a recommendation like 
incorporate olive oil into your day, right? right? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say that what most have recommended, no more than three to four tablespoons in a day. In a day. In a day. Yes. So that has to be spread across many things. And um, I think one of the other important things sometimes to recognize is that some of our processed salad dressings aren't necessarily the best way to go. That it would be actually quite nice if you made your own salad dressing, which is very simple. It's so simple. It's very Uh, simple. You know, my grandmother was from Sicily. My Italian. So that was my mother's (laughs) mother. And she was from Sicily. And it was extra virgin olive oil, lemon or lime, salt and pepper, maybe a little garlic, fresh garlic tossed in there. And and a little bit of vinegar, right? A slight bit of vinegar. Sometimes, no. If she did the lemon, it was just the lemon or lime, no vinegar. Uh, sometimes she did the red wine vinegar. Oh, beautiful. Uh, but also a little grated Pecorino Romano. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. So, and that was That's just great. amazing. Right. You know, and amazing. And then she had a garden. Right. And so everything was fresh out of the garden and it tasted amazing. But I just want to say it, you know, for those of you listening in and watching, I think it's important to reach out to a registered dietitian that uh, specifically that may work with a local uh, teaching institution such as Rush right. because they're cutting edge. And they're, you know, as registered dietitians, we do have to stay in tune with what the latest research is, and we have continuing education. So we're always learning. It's and and that whole area of research is always growing. So make sure that you listen in. We've got some great information coming your way. Thank you so much, Christy, for being with me today and sharing with our listeners and viewers, because it's so important if we can get the younger community starting to really tap into how important diet is, Absolutely. that some of these changes in the brain and the ability of the brain to produce what it needs needs to produce as far as neurotransmitters like dopamine will be enhanced because of their overall enhanced health. Oh, definitely. I'm, I mean, that's my hope is that we can look at that maybe in a study where we look at preventing Parkinson's because it's all about disease prevention and having quality of life. So thanks again, Christy. Thank you for tuning in to Figure Facts for Life podcast. Be sure to subscribe and stay in the know on cutting edge dietetic and nutrition information. We really would love if you would hop over to Facebook and like us on Figure Facts LLC and also follow us on Instagram and that's Figure Facts LLC. LLC, all one word. I'm Roberta Gennaro, and ciao, ciao for now.